Tom Lorenzo. And this is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello, kittens. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the T in your T-Lo, Tom Fitzgerald. And I'm here with the low in your T-Lo, Lorenzo. My husband, my husband. Hey. How are you, honey? Wonderful. Good. Um, uh, it's another crazy week. In this, oh, yes. There's a cat that is just ready to <laughs> take the mic over. So I'm not even going to say her name, but she is hovering. And if you hear like a loud a crash in the background, yeah. it's because she isn't getting her spotlight time. <laughs> oh, there there, there go. she goes. Anyway. Um, anyway, uh, crazy week. It's the week after Thanksgiving. And uh, I know you guys, you faithful listeners who we love very much, we let you down. We haven't done a podcast in like two weeks. Oh, yes, there she is. She's. I don't know if you guys can hear or if the mics are picking I'm her sure up. I'm sure they but can. She anyway, is ignore, at, just ignore her. Just wandering the table, meowing. Anyway, um, exciting week for us to start off. The um, NPR listed our book, Legendary Children, as one of the best books of Yay! 2020. That's, that's I can't even uh, tell you how I, wonderful. We didn't know how... How much? I cried. I actually cried a little bit because um, it's been a while. You know, the book was released in March and it got plenty of plaudits and it sold well and it checked off a lot of boxes. You know, let me put it this way. When you write a book, when you write your second book, especially, you go into it with some... I need to accomplish this. I need to accomplish this. I need to accomplish. You X, have more y, experience. You, you yeah. So you process. know what you want yeah. to accomplish. You you may set a sales goal. You may set a re, a review goal or whatever a press goal, but um, it hit so many of the goals that we wanted it to hit critically and in terms of the press that it got. It, I think, like any book, I, any author who released a book this year will always always if we're all being honest with ourselves put an asterisk next to our sales for this year and because we'll never not believe the sales would have been better if this hadn't been such a catastrophic year but i think every author aside from the obamas is feeling that this year um but the book sold well we got the kind of critical acclaim we actually really really wanted i I, i'm not even gonna i don't even care if i sound grasping or parvenu or whatever I wanted critical acclaim for this book. We both did. Of course you do. Yeah, of course you do. Um, Because we'd been doing this for a really long time, you know, writing, uh, blogging and writing and and doing interviews and podcasting and everything for a really long time. But um, I wouldn't say we've done it to critical acclaim, not in the sense that you, not in the legitimate sense. A lot of people have said a lot of nice things about us over the years. Don't get me wrong. Um, and for that, I'm very grateful. But to have someone literally critically assess your work, right? And then to have that assessment be it, that it's good. It is good. always nice to have the support of you guys and and to read what you have to say about everything. But it it is it is amazing to to hear people talk about your book. People who basically don't know you or don't know... Right. It's lot. not some friend or right. fan. It's not someone who reads our blog or it's someone who happens to get, get a copy of our book and they have to you know, write a review about it. It's a whole different story. Um, uh, so it, it's interesting to see them talking uh, like we, we got the Associated Press uh, review. You know, places like that, that, you know, they're reviewing a book. Uh, they don't know a lot about Tom Lorenzo. They don't read Tom Lorenzo every day. Right. Uh, so it... It is different and, and, and scary. <laughs> and it is scary. But um, one thing I can say about this year um, is that we have come out of 2020 uh, 
it, this is going to be a very hard thing for me to explain or quantify, but you, when you do what we do, when you're a writer and you put out work on a regular basis, you know, to an audience, culture writer, cultural critic, fashion critic, whatever, um, you get a sense over time, if you're paying attention to it, if it's your career, like it's ours, you, you try and get a sense of how you are viewed by the community at large, by other writers, by, other, by editors, by journalists, right. by critics. Um, and I, again, I don't care how this makes me sound. Uh, we started off as fan bloggers, then we started, then we turned into amateur pop culture bloggers, and then eventually we became professional. Um, and in that 15 year stretch, we've had to sort of fight against a tide of thinking that we're just a couple of blogspot guys who writes about Project Runway, or we just write about dresses, or we just write about madman costumes. Um, it was a lot of work. Uh, to get to a point where we had um, we were considered professionals by other professionals. And we wanted that. I have always wanted that from the minute we hung out our shingle. And it wasn't because just for validate personal validation. It was for career reasons. It was, you know, if I'm going to do this, I want to be considered real. You know, I don't want to be considered some amateur. And... Um, I felt going into 2020 that we had already achieved that level, but honestly, coming out on the other end of 2020, something about that book changed the way we were perceived. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it, regularly, when we get referred to now um, by in because I mean, not again, not to brag, but our names are going to pop up in some article every ten days or so about some TV show or a tweet that we did or a dress that just, you know, the broad range of stuff that we talk about gets picked up and our names get referenced. And this is the year I noted, this, this is turning into a big brag fest and I didn't mean it to, but this is the year that I noted that um, people just stopped referring to us as bloggers or fan bloggers right. or mm -hmm. uh, beloved, you know, mad men costume bloggers and regularly refer to us as critics. Cultural right, critics, right, Tom right, and right. Lorenzo. Um, and that was just really important to me. I will be a blogger till the probably the day I die. I'm not ashamed of the term blogger at all. But um, one of the things we both really wanted with this book, once we realized that it was how good it was, not that's a brag, all right. Um, but one of the things we wanted coming out of it was, I want people to understand that we're not just those guys who wrote funny captions for Nina Garcia you know, 15 years ago, we actually have things to say. Uh, and it's not just about hemlines or what shoe goes with what dress. Again, I have no shame in writing about those things. I still enjoy writing about those things. And I don't mind being known as someone who writes about those things. Um, but getting to write this book, which was not just about a television show, but about right. a broad LGBTQ cultural history that spans a century... Um, it put us in a different place right, yeah. professionally right. at the end. I actually, I am proud of the range. Like we can talk about dresses, the red carpet, and, and, and then write a book about the LGBTQ community uh, history. So I, I do like that. I do like that we I can go too. from very silly and vain to something more serious that will help someone out there. Uh, when they read it. Yeah. So I do like that. I, pr I, I think it's great. I, I have no problem with that whatsoever. No, I mean, uh, I'll never give up. Right, right. I mean, I love the opportunity to write about things of import or cultural import or historical import. But 
I don't think we'll ever stop writing about no. red carpet or stop or drag queen. No. You know, we're always going to have something to say about reality television or, right. you know. The bottom line is we only write about the things we like. So. Or, yeah. Uh, I, no, but I, the subject. We don't love every. Person or every celebrity. No, I didn't mean that. The areas that we write no, about. No, but yeah. I didn't mean that. I mean the areas. Yes. The, the, the topics, the, the, the industries uh, that we cover. We appreciate all of that. Right. Movie, TV, you know, film, fashion. TV, fashion, uh, celebrity to a certain extent, costumes. We, we love all that. The freaking royal family. Right. You know, so go we, on we're, and on we're and fascinated on. by these topics and we talk about them. And that's why we talk about them because we feel like we have something to say. Um, and this year was very challenging. I, I mean, you have to understand that the book came out, uh, luckily for us, uh, a little bit before the pandemic we i mean it, literally 10 days before yeah, but but at least we got a ton of the reviews before what you know the the world ended um so at least we have a ton of reviews out by the time things got really bad but the tour itself you know was pretty much canceled but anyway but we still managed and i remember i will never forget because it was very it was scary like in march i'm sure everyone went through the same thing uh, in March, we just looked at each other like, what are we going to do? I mean, we had no idea how we were going to deal with this pandemic. Yeah. And I'm sure everybody, I'm not saying it's just us. I'm I'm saying this is my experience, our experience. I'm sure everybody went through the same thing, and they're still going through the same thing. So, so looking now, I mean, it's almost the end of the year. So much has happened. Um I have to say, I'm 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 glad we 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 stuck with it and and we worked hard. Yes. And try to be as creative as possible. I honestly feel we're better at what we do. Yes, at the end yes, of this year than we yes, were going yes. into it, and we have been doing this a long time. And I hope a lot of you went through the same thing. I, mean, I know you went through hell, uh, all of you, at some point this year. But I hope, I do hope at some point you found hope or creativity or a way to fight back and, and, and survive until And now. I hope we distracted you somewhat. Yes, and I hope we manage. I mean, we got we get emails all the time and tweets and Instagram messages saying that how much, you know, they appreciate what we're doing and so on. And, and I mean it. I, I really appreciate those words. And So um, this whole rambling sort of bragging thing, it, the whole point of it is NPR named our book. And this was a little bit of a surprise to us coming at the end of the year. It, well, we got an email. It had been about six months <laughs> since we got any real press for the book. So that was my point. It's a lovely, lovely way to end the year. The biggest validation I think the book has gotten, even though it has tremendous uh, critical acclaim, to be named a, a best book of the year by NPR is a big freaking deal. Um, as, as many people pointed out to us, it's, it's where a lot of people go to find books or to look for ideas <laughs> for gifts and, and, you know. Right. Speaking uh, of which, this portion of the podcast is being sponsored by our good pals yes. at Bombas. Maybe you haven't always thought of socks as the perfect gift or the perfect way to give back, but actually Bombas socks were made to give, literally. When you give a pair of super comfortable Bomba socks, you're not only giving someone a gift they'll love, you're also donating a specially designed pair to someone in need. Because for every pair of socks Bomba sells, they donate a pair to someone experiencing homelessness across the U.S. And since socks are the number one most requested clothing item in homeless shelters, the generosity of giving Bombas will make a meaningful impact this holiday season. 
Bombas are specially engineered to be the most comfortable pair of socks you and everyone on your gift list has ever worn. They spent years perfecting every detail, like eliminating those annoying toe seams, making sure their socks never slip, and creating a special midfoot support system. It's probably no surprise to any of the regular listeners of this podcast when I say that I am literally wearing my Bomba socks right now. Right. Because I wear them practically every day of the year. Um, I have the... uh, the footy athletic socks. I have the cotton, you know, mid-cap socks. And I also have the merino wool socks. You have a ton of them. Which yeah. are just perfect. They hug your feet. They keep your feet warm. The, I just love these socks. Um, so, uh, Bombas comes in tons of different colors and styles, including athletic performance socks, limited edition holiday socks. You know, I think you need to buy me the holiday socks this year. All right. I don't have holiday socks. Oh. Limited edition holiday socks, dress socks, and socks made from merino wool. Did I not just say that? A natural wonder that's super warm, incredibly soft, and naturally moisture wicking. The generosity of Bombas customers has allowed them to donate over 40 million pairs of socks and counting through their nationwide network of 3,000 plus giving partners. Bombas socks are 100% back for life. If you or anyone you give them to aren't happy with them, just reach out to their customer happiness team who will issue an exchange or refund. So from comfort to kindness and everything in between, Bombas aren't just givable, they were made to give. Go to bombas.com slash T-L-O today and get 20% off your first order. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash T-L-O. Bombas dot com slash T-L-O. Thank you, Bombas. All right. So we're just going to bounce around some topics this week, some of which are very on trend and some of which have sort of faded out. The first one is... (laughs) <laughs> the crown I, which i felt i feel like we have said everything we I wrote eighteen thousand words on this season of the crown we started talking our about last podcast before. like yeah. three weeks ago was about princess diana i thought we were done and actually we crammed so those it's the first time we've ever done an entire season of netflix uh in the sp- in under two weeks reviewing every episode this has always been our problem with streaming shows that all get dropped at once all the episodes get dropped at once it's very hard to sustain interest when your audience has binged the whole thing and finished it five days before. Right, right, right. Or worse, because it takes a long time to write a 1,500 to 2,000 word review of each episode. I mean, last year, I think it was a month before we finished the entire episode. Mm -hmm. I mean, the entire season. And this year I was really committed, partially because we are so... um, bereft of our normal content. Right, right. right. There's not a lot of red carpet stuff out there. So... We're holding on to whatever we, we can find. And and uh, and because we wanted to talk about it thoroughly, because it is a very important this season. Uh, <laughs> we knew the whole Diana thing I was know, going to explode. Knew we knew explode. it. Listen, I knew it was going to explode and be, and people were talking about it, but I had no idea it was going to go <laughs> direction. So, he, yeah, to the highest echelons of British government. <laughs> oh like a, a, a cultural minister came out and a bunch of high-ranking editors over in Great Britain are coming crazy. out and saying that the show should have a disclaimer in front of it. Don't because, they all have a disclaimer? They do. No, every, they, not that it's fic. No, they every, don't. Yes, they do. Every every show, I think, I think any TV show, don't they have? No, that's the whole point. That's why the whole thing is so stupid. They're asking for a disclaimer to point out that this is not a historical document. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's not... It's not required. Um, but I think every show has a disclaimer that that says something like, this is fiction... Uh, no, no. ...based on whatever... No? Oh, okay. I thought it, it had. Every show had already. No. Oh, okay. Anyway, 
uh, the fact I thought they wanted something more specific about history that it wasn't history, not that was like a, the whole point of this coming out now is because uh, nobody cared about this when the Crown was uh, doing episodes that dealt with stuff from sixty years ago, when it was all about Elizabeth and Philip's marriage and I him agree. cheating, him cheating on her with ballerinas or whatever, and they did storylines like this. Nobody cared. But Prince Charles and Princess Diana are closer in memory to, for a lot of people now. Um, I mean, there are still people in media and government who were in media and government when that was all going down. Um, and uh, that has flavored how some people are seeing this this season of the show. However, uh, there have been several movies made about Princess Charles, uh, Prince Charles and Princess Diana there have been um, not just movies in theaters, but like, you know, crass TV movies. There have been TV movies made about Meghan and Harry and William and Catherine. Cheesy-ass things that were on Lifetime. Totally exploitive and mostly made up. And nobody better than I. Nobody better than I. Because everybody realizes that when you do fictionalized accounts of the, of the royal family, they are fictionalized. Because um, that's a very closed loop. And you're only going to get so much information out of them. Um no, like I said, nobody cared when it was Elizabeth and Philip uh, um, yelling at each other and she was throwing dishes at him or whatever. But this was the Diana years. People remember it. She was so beloved. And um, here's my point. A lot of the stuff that was coming out from people who were saying, you need to put a disclaimer on this, that this is fiction, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's not hard to draw a line to some of the people that were saying this stuff and directly to Prince Charles himself or directly to Prince Charles's courtiers or the people who tend to revolve around Prince Charles and speak on his behalf for the press. You have to understand that that's how a lot of the um, royal family operates. They have relationships with right, people right. in government yes. and in the press. Yes. And a lot of times those people will come out and say things like, you know, when they, there were rumors going around that William and Catherine were, you know, that William was cheating on Catherine. Suddenly all these high-ranking editors were coming out and uh, what a shameful thing to say. You know, that's all semi-coordinated. I mean, honestly, if you watch The Crown, you can see that. There are um, several instances in, during the show that they show that. Uh, how the 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 royal family used the press, right? To, so to communicate something. Uh, no, that's it. So, so totally a lot of this is. Uh, I will say that um, hats off to the people who have managed to rehabilitate Prince Charles and uh, Camilla in the wake of Diana's death, um, because if you're old enough to remember, twenty years ago, I mean. Everybody thought, no way, they, she will never be his queen. They'll never get married, which they, they did get married, I think, in 2005. Um, the idea of them being, 20 years ago, or even 23 years ago when Diana died, the idea of Charles and Camilla being who they are now, with the standing they have now, was almost unthinkable. Um, and he hired some very good people uh, to help him change his image and to help elevate her image because she was loathed. She was absolutely loathed by the public after in the wake of Diana's death. Um, and they've done a really masterful job. For the most part, the public, those who support the monarchy, and I, I realize that not everybody in Great Britain does, but those who do are more or less okay with her. I mean, I don't know what will happen when she becomes um, queen consort. I don't know if people are going to want her to be Queen Camilla or if they're just going <laughs> to want her to be like... Princess Camilla or whatever. Um, 
she is technically the Princess of Wales because she's married to the Prince of Wales, but she hasn't used the title because of Diana, um, because everyone associates her with that title. Um, anyway, my point being that, uh, and I said this when we watched the screeners, I was uh-huh. like, holy cow, this is undoing 20 years of right, uh, right, right. PR work. Some of these scenes are brutal. Um, the thing about The Crown is it is fiction. Of course it's fiction. And you really should not take it as a document of anything. However, most of this season, most of the stuff from this season that showed the, the that was the Charles and Diana marriage comes directly from Diana. Um, if you watch Diana in her own words, which is on Netflix, it's trending every day. So obviously people are watching it. Uh, it's a National Geographic special from like two or three years ago, but it uses actual tapes of her. The tapes. It's sh- actually very good, I, th- I think. And, and you can basically track the entire season right. watching this documentary. Several scenes are directly lifted from these tapes. Right. Um, now, that doesn't mean that they're accurate because Diana had her own reasons. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Diana was no saint. Uh, she was absolutely a victim in that marriage and a very troubled woman for much of that marriage. Um, but she was also manipulative. She knew how to manipulate the press. And for a time, she was being quite vindictive towards Charles and Camilla. She really wanted to tear them down. So a lot of, and we did, we said this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the, that documentary, it's great to listen to it. You are getting it directly from her, but you should listen with a critical ear. She is an angry woman who was just coming off a decade and a half of rather serious mental health issues that she admits to. Um, and she had good reason to want to manipulate the press and give her version of what the marriage was. Um, so they based the season on Diana's words. Um, and that does on some level make it, I don't want to say unimpeachable, but um, you can't claim it's fiction. You can't claim it's all made up. It was, they use the words of the actual woman being portrayed in the story right. to tell her story. Whether or not she was entirely honest or whether that's an accurate uh, version of their marriage, of course you should question that because right. it's only one person's version. But that's the royal family's own fault because Netflix and the producers of the show contacted them several times to ask for their help. I don't for their blame support. them for not. I understand that, but you can't have it both ways. I agree. You can't not help, not give your version uh, of the story, uh, confirm facts, you know, fa- check facts, because that's what Netflix wanted. They, they said no to everything. And then yet you don't want when Netflix comes out with the product. I mean, no. I mean, it's, it, you know, you can't. The bottom line is that the royal family doesn't want anyone to talk about anything. Well, uh, and the bottom line is that Charles is deathly afraid well, that um, he will not get his chance. This was always the fear after his marriage blew up. The public had turned against him so badly that um, there was a lot of fear that the monarchy was not going to survive. Right. And that's why all that hellacious PR work was done over the last two decades. And don't get me wrong, I really don't think the crown is going to bring the monarchy down. I said two weeks ago when we were talking about Diana, she didn't manage it either. No. But um, but what happens... He's so protective of it, and he's right. so... Insecure. S- insecure and sensitive about how he is portrayed in the press. Exactly. That, and he has a history of sending his courtiers and allies out to to uh, defend him. So that's what all of this was, and I can't take any of it seriously. Right, and I think it's, it's fascinating to watch the whole thing unfold because... 
It is the social media era. Uh, it's all about social media. So you you read all these tweets and all this stuff about people who had no have no idea of history, which is alarming to begin with. Number right. one, uh, <coughs> that these people don't know history uh, or at least basic facts about anything. So they're shocked with what's going on in the crowd because they don't know that that actually happened or supposedly happened. Right. So that part is just fascinating, and I think they're just scared of it because. You know, whatever Netflix show, I mean, let's face it, whatever any TV show or whatever gets gets debated and talked about on social media now all the time, that generates a lot of publicity, negative or, or, or positive or right. whatever. Um, but it does. So, of course, they don't like that. They don't like the fact that everyone is talking about the crown now uh, more than ever uh, because it's Diana, because it's all that stuff. And they just don't want any of that. They but I would hate it if Netflix or Peter no, Morgan bowed no, to no. this kind of pressure. Tell your story. Right. If people are dumb enough to believe that this is a documentary, well, I mean, come on. And actually, I don't think that they, for the for the most part, I don't think they are. The, the, the one thing that has come out of this season that over and over and over again is I keep reading either on social media or whole articles devoted to the fact that people were Googling like crazy right. this season. Right. Every episode was like, did that really happen? So, um... And you know what? A lot of the, it does hold up. I'm not going to call it a historical document. Of course, it goes on flights of fancy. It it uh, juggles certain um, dates, and you know every episode of the show has a concise, discrete theme and arc for the characters. So uh, you know history and life doesn't work that way. So in the structuring and and what they choose to emphasize, yes, you're going to get a skewed version of events. However. It is a very meticulously researched show, and they don't just make shit up. Um, they base a lot of their conjecture on things like interviews and tapes and that sort of thing. Right. Um, so Charles may not like it, and I, I absolutely agree that it is probably not the most accurate version of what his marriage was like. But then again... There's only a handful of people that can actually answer that right. question anyway. They, they just don't like that certain stuff is coming to surface, like like the whole bracelet thing. A lot of people didn't know. I didn't know about the bracelet. Um, so, And that was horrifying to me. Right. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe he did that. So that's just one example of, of something that really happened, but not a lot of people knew about it. And now it's out there for everyone to, to I don't want to turn this into another Diana thing because we did a whole hour on her, but... Uh, it is notable that they never showed the scene where she threw herself down the stairs when she was pregnant with William, which she fully admitted to, which was um, certainly an IO. It would have given you a m more of a context of how bad she was in bad shape mentally at the time. But it would also would have um, underlined the point that she was even under the best circumstances, Charles would not have been able to handle her. And the show did not did choose chose not to show that scene and in doing so it does skew the uh the portrayal a little bit because it makes him look like the biggest asshole in the world and her just someone who was crying in her bedroom when in fact she was doing things that any spouse or family member would have found difficult if not impossible to deal with um anyway that's blah, blah, blah. That came up last earlier in the late last week and earlier this week. And we were both like, oh, my God, this is so stupid. Uh, so we felt like we had to just give our thoughts on here. Um, all right. Next topic. Elliot Page. Yes. Star of Juno, X-Men Days of Future Past, Whip It, uh, also on the Umbrella Academy. Um, 
came out this week as a transgender man. Now, uh, we're not going to give you Elliot Page's uh, name when Elliot Page was working as an actress because, and this is what we're talking about this week. One of the things we're talking about this week is um, the concept of dead naming in the trans community, uh, especially among famous members. There's a reason we call Caitlyn Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner. And we do not call her by the name she was known by for three decades prior to becoming Caitlyn Jenner. Mm -hmm. Now, this is not for me to say. Uh, this is actually what trans activists and trans writers have said many, many times over the years. Because the idea, the process of coming to terms with your trans, with your transness, with your with your identity, um, it can be very long and very painful. And unlike, say, the process of coming out of the closet as a gay person or a bi person, it really requires you to fundamentally uh, let go of aspects of your life, um, uh, not least of which is your gender presentation. And in many, many instances, most instances, as far as I know, your name. Uh, once you declare your identity, you declare a new name for yourself. And that name is so hard fought. It represents so much work uh -huh. and in most cases so much painful work to get to that point that trans activists and trans writers have been very clear over the years. Once that name is put out in the world, that is that person's name and their identity. And there's been a lot of pushback this week because when Elliot came out, it was a beautiful letter Elliot wrote. Uh, about his journey and everything. Um, but he admitted that he was nervous. And he, he even used the word fragile. Um, and it immediately hit social media. Well, Elliot posted it on social media. And, and it so it, it rocketed. This was on Tuesday, I believe. And um, immediately press outlets were referring to, you know, they would introduce Elliot Page, formerly known as, and then they would give Elliot Page's name. Uh, the name that Elliot had before he came to terms with himself. I, I know it, it's actually very weird to do this conversationally. It works so much better on the written page, but it actually is difficult to have a, a conversation on this specific topic. Not the, co not the topic of transgender people, but the actual topic of how to refer to them once they've changed their names. Um, so I understand that this probably does sound awkward. It is awkward on a conversational level. However, I would argue this is very new on a social and cultural level. Transgender identity is not new, but us coming to terms with it on an, and accepting it on, on, on a cross-cultural, cross-social level, uh, this is new and the language is, is evolving around it. There are still people who have a very, very hard time, cisgender people, with uh, using like they, them pronouns for people uh, who are non, who, who, who declare themselves non-binary. Um, I'm sympathetic to that. I truly, truly am sympathetic to that. Uh, culture has to change. Society has to change. And because of that, language has to change as well. And you are dealing with some really fundamental core concepts of language, how you refer to men, how you refer to women. Um, I mean, some languages, romance languages, are constructed around masculine mm -hmm. and feminine ideals of language. So uh, this all needs to be unpacked in the century ahead of us, and we are right at the birth of when that is happening. And 
I, I accept that people have a hard time with it. Uh, it. Although I am not trans, so it's not really for me, me to excuse or accept it. Um, but I am talking about it. Part of the reason we're talking about it is because I want to just go mention that I personally, I'm not going to speak for Lorenzo. You can jump in. I personally went on a journey while we were writing our book about, uh, you know, our book was about cultural, LGBTQ cultural history and um, specifically through the lens of drag. And I will admit that I, my eyes were opened in the research of this book as to how much of drag was actually just trans women uh, creating an art form um, and how much of it was developed by trans women. Um, in the writing of our book, I we both did a lot of research uh, into trans figures in history, current and going all the way back, and read their own words about their journey and, and, and what they went through. And I was, at one point, one of those gay men, cis gay men, who thought, okay, LGBT, okay, they're part of the rainbow, I guess, but I really don't feel like those people are are the same as me. They're, our lives are very different. I just feel like, you know, why, yeah, I understood why we were together, but I didn't feel kinship. And when I, when we wrote the book and when I read all of these stories and watched all of these documentaries and clips and everything and just became a wash, not just in queer history, but in trans history, uh, I realized, I really did, my eyes were opened and I really did come to an understanding of why we are um, kin. Why uh, the L, the G, the B, mm -hmm. the T, the Q, the I, and the A all need to stand under the same umbrella, but specifically the T with the L, G, and the B. This is what I'm referring to today. Um, my point, if you read the stories of trans people uh, and their process of coming out, um, if you're a gay person or a bi person, um, if you know what to look for, you will see yourself in those stories. Uh, we did a thread on this on Twitter the other day, a long thread that, that a lot of people responded to. But where we said this, what, what unites cis gay people and trans people, what, it, what is our bloodline that unites us, is our process of coming out, is our process of self-declaration and self-discovery, if not self-love. Um, when you listen to the stories of... of trans people. I mean, read Elliot's letter. If you're a gay person, I don't know how you don't uh, see yourself in, in the way Elliot talks Relate about himself. Relate somehow, yeah, I agree. Um, that's the thing. I remember earlier this year, the, um, the documentary on Netflix about trans representation in films and television called Disclosure. Excellent, excellent documentary. Again, they would listen to these stories of them watching TV shows and seeing some effeminate you know, or some man in a dress and how they felt that that was somehow them. And, and they were looking so hard to find themselves. And what was eye opening to me about disclosure was they were looking at the same things I was looking at. And I was like, huh? Now, when I was a kid, I saw that as a queer man. And when they were kids, they saw it as a trans woman. And, and neither of us, I think were incorrect. This is what we were looking for. We were looking at the same things and seeing ourselves in them. Um, even though, you know, as I, we said on Twitter, we walked the same road for a long time, uh, trans people and, and gay people. We will walk that, that same path and then we branch off and our destinations are different. 
um, where you wind up in when you're a gay person and you come out of the closet, where you wind up is completely different from when you're trans and you come out of the closet. It's once you come out, the lives branch off and they become very different. But if there is that core sense of experience, that core idea of of discovering yourself in a world that seems opposed to you discovering yourself, in a world that seems designed to make you feel shamed ashamed for who you know your your essential self um and i don't know do you want to jump in here that was why i wanted to address elliot is number one you don't use the name you don't use the name that elliot went by earlier in elliot's life when elliot was figuring himself out even though elliot was famous and making movies under that name Elliot Page is who Elliot is, and the name Elliot used before is not who Elliot is. And I believe Elliot would be the first person to tell you that. This is why you don't use the name that Elliot used before. And I get it. I'm sitting here going, this is kind of weirdly awkward language, basically because I'm not using pronouns. Um, but we, ha- I feel like I don't know. I'm not a young person. And a lot of the people in my age group that are having a hard time with these things, and which is why I feel like I need to address them is because I'm of the generation that tends to say the dumb things about about trans life and trans identity and trans language. Uh, And I'm just imploring people to try and be a little more open. Um, These people are brave beyond brave. facing opposition that even I as a gay man cannot, cannot fathom, um, and going through a process that is very, very similar to mine, my process of, of self-understanding, but much, much more intense. Um, I came out of the closet and I didn't feel like I was changing myself. I felt like I was being true to myself. And I, I think trans people largely feel the same way, but there is still that sense of change in their identity, in their presentation, and even in their name, which makes their coming out process that much more intense than gay people's. Um, but this is turning into a speech. All I really wanted to say was that I have learned as a gay man and as a writer to, um, to be empathetic to, to, what, to what trans people are going through and to see our similarities between my experiences and theirs. But a lot of the reason I was able to make that journey was because I was privileged enough to write a book about it um, that taught me these things. So I'm really just sitting here trying to, for those of you who have a hard time understanding how to, what language to use and, and how to talk about uh, trans people and their identities, um, listen to them. I mean, and accept that it's going to be difficult for you to make this shift in the way you think and in the way you talk. And yes, maybe to you the language will sound clumsy or strange, but it will be empathetic. And through that, you will gain a greater understanding of who they are and what they're asking for when they're asking you to speak a certain way about them. No, I agree. Uh, I I want to go back to what you said, the, the name thing. And uh, I have my personal experience. My best friend uh, came out as a transgender uh, woman. Um, and we've been friends forever since we're kids. Um, and it was, I'm going to be very honest here. It was very, very hard, and it still is, to say her name now. Sometimes we will we screw have, up in conversation. Not when we're talking to right. her, but when we refer to her. Because we knew her for 
for 20 years by her previous name. Um, and the funny thing is, I will say, you said the, the, when you introduced me to her 20 years ago, you were like, she's a total woman. Um, it turns out she really was. The thing is that we've been friends forever. <laughs> and uh, jokingly, we all would, you know, most of the time we would refer to each other. It's like, oh, girl, you woman. Why right, are you right, doing right. this woman? So we were always using those terms. So I didn't have a problem with that because for many years, that's how we joked with each other. But when it came to the name, the actual name, uh, I had a very, very hard time. But at the same time, I was dying to understand and to support her. Right. So I did my best, and I still do. I'm not going to lie. So every now and then, I have to make sure. Uh, There's I nothing remember. wrong with acknowledging that it's uh, work. I think so. It is work, but it's good work. It's respectful work. Yes, you're 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 you respecting the person you love, the person you have as a friend, as a family member, or whoever, even a stranger that you just met. Uh, you're respecting someone. So that that was a that's been a great uh, learning uh, experience for me. With my own very best friend. Yes. Um, so this has been great, and I try my best. And I think it's important because I had a problem too. Because you know it's a generational thing. I think uh, I had a problem with the pronouns. I mean, not not having a problem accepting them, but trying to understand, remember them, remember them, and figure them out, and and make sure I said the right thing. So it is a process that for some is annoying, but you have to understand that that's somebody's life. Uh, that somebody's history. This is them asking you to see them in a certain right, way right, right. and to speak of them in a certain way. And like anybody else, they deserve that respect. And I think by 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 talking about this and, and documenting this in a way, uh, these stories and experiences and everything, we're creating our own history. Because I've been reading a lot lately, uh, as I mentioned to you guys, I've been reading a lot of books, and, and I've been fascinated in reading a lot about uh, queer, people in, uh, queer people in the 17th, 18th, and 19th century. And one of the most important things that I found out is that we, we were denied a history. Things were deleted, things yes. were, were burned, letters, uh, documents, everything about us. We don't have a lot of history. If you go way back, because we were denied our existence, uh, who we really were, and 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 so we don't. Uh, for many many gener many generations, didn't have something to look look back and say, look, you know, it's okay to be me. Right. It's okay because there is a a history of this. Um, and, but slowly we are creating this history with this new generation, with this new people, of uh, queer people, um, group of people. So I think it's fascinating and interesting, and I think we should force ourselves to at least try to understand, do the best we can. Uh, we all go through a, through a <coughs> self-discovery uh, journey. We all do. I mean, uh, it is different from a straight person, but it is a journey Yeah, uh, that you go through. Painful sometimes, a lot painful. Scary. Scary and so on. Gratifying too. So if you just show interest, I think that's what everybody wants, and I think that's what the transgender community want from you, is, is that you become interested. You, you, you pay it. You listen to them, or you you show interest and respect uh, what they and ask respect for. what they ask for. If you do that, then then you know it. That that's that's great, everything. That's that's a lot. I mean, uh, I can't speak on behalf of them. I, I'm sure any trans 
listener could sit here and go, well, that's not everything, guys. And, you know, so I don't want to say that we're speaking on behalf of them. But I know what I know from my perspective. I know what I know from the journey I went on from being confused about this to coming to a place of understanding about it. Uh, and I did that by listening to them. So I'm, I, I hope this doesn't come across as me speaking on behalf of them. Um, because the first place you should go to understand transgender people and what they want from you is to go to transgender people, not to us. Anyway, um, so yes to Elliot. We're very thrilled about his journey. And um, I know, as far as I understand, Netflix is continuing with Umbrella Academy and will be integrating this aspect of, uh, you know, Elliot... Elliot himself into the character Elliot has been playing for oh, the last awesome. couple of seasons. That's awesome. And it I is think awesome. I, it, it is important for Elliot. It's important for everybody because we live in a society that we pay attention to celebrities. We, we pay attention to what they have to say. Uh, we, we, we take them as an example of anything or a lot of things. So, and this is actually a good example, right? This is, this is something that, that is good, uh, that will add a lot of good things. You know, for the community, for people who are fans of him, of his work, you know, and, you know, might not agree with it, but at least we'll question it, we'll listen, uh, we'll have to, you know, read stuff about it. So it, it creates a conversation whether you like it or not. And I think that's important. Agreed. Um, all right. Wrapping up this little discussion, this little podcast, actually, we're going to move on to the Warner Brothers announcement that came out, came out yesterday. Yes. Big kind of shocking seismic announcement. That A lot Warner, of people yelling Warner, at us. <laughs> Warner Brothers is release is taking the step of um, releasing a huge portion of its 2021 slate uh, on HBO Max um, because they, I guess they don't feel that the theatrical experience can be guaranteed. Even with a vaccine on the way, they they mm -hmm. they feel that it cannot be guaranteed. So, sh I mean, big movies like Wonder Woman, that had already been announced, but like Dune is going to right. debut on HBO Max, a whole bunch of other films uh, over the course of 2021. Now, they will be releasing the films limited in theaters uh, in the places in the country where the, they can have theaters and the places in the world where theaters are open. But for 30 days, each of those movies will be on HBO Max at the time it, it comes out in the theaters. Now, this was met with a lot of, you know, people in the film critic, the film writing community and the, and the film critic community. I will say this uh, as someone who dabbles <laughs> on the edge of that, uh, because I do write, we do write film criticism and everything. They can be histrionic about the, uh, and very precious about the art of movies and the world. Of, in, so there was a lot of, of, uh, you know, Sturm and Drang. There was a lot of a hair shirt ripping and everything yesterday over this. Like, oh my God, like... Um, uh, it's not the same. You know, it's the end of, of movies and everything <laughs> right. like that. And, I mean, movies are going to... Um, movies have been fighting off change. Well, they've been fighting it off since television was invented. And then VCRs were invented and cable TV was invented and DVDs and Blu-rays and now streaming. So there's always been something. There's always been something coming right. for um, the movie industry, the theatrical movie experience. Um, and it's been fighting it off for a really long time. It will not last forever. I have to say, uh, from my perspective, if you're taking the long view, movie theaters are not going to be a thing. Forever. 
Um, they may still have some years or even decades left in them, but as technology advances to the point where you can, uh, you know, a middle-class family can have a theatrical experience in their own home, um, and, you know, with streaming and, and, and the way people, the way the public now understands their entertainment options and the demands that they make on their entertainment... Um, is skewing away from the theatrical experience the, as we know it. Um, that's just the reality of it. So I hear it. I mean, I hear a lot of film critics rending their shirts and, and this is a disaster and death for the culture. And it will be a bad thing for the culture. Um, but you know what? It was a bad thing for the culture when um, we, in, in some ways it was a bad thing for the culture when uh, we went from four television stations to 300. Uh, when we went from a monoculture where everybody watched the same thing and we all understood, we could all get up the next morning and talk about what we all watched the night before. There was a time when that was a good thing. When and that we was a, waited for a second. It was a community episode. thing yes. and we bonded mm-hmm. over that thing. And now we don't have that at all anymore. No. Other things have replaced it. Um, and if you ask, especially if you ask people under 30 uh, or under 40 actually, about it, most of them would say they would prefer the, what we have now. They would prefer mm-hmm. binge watching and having complete control over what you watch, and you know, subscribing to specific streaming services to get what you want, and not watching it on TV, but on your phone or on your laptop or on whatever. I, I mean, I guess we could sit here and scream and yell about all of these things ending, and oh my god, or we could just look at it as the natural progression of technology, uh, cultural expectations, and um, and uh, economic considerations. I, I said that we've talked about this before. I don't want the theatrical experience to go away at all, but I have to admit, I can't remember the last time I had a fully positive experience right. in a movie we, theater. We talked about this on Twitter, and I think there should be an option there for whoever wants to go to a movie theater as an option, because sometimes, I don't know, you don't have a big screen TV at, at home or whatever, and you want the biggest experience. I think it should be there for these people, but I personally, and we talk about this, I don't enjoy it anymore, uh, and I haven't enjoyed for a long time, because it. Uh, the honest is very loud now, I feel. Maybe I forget how it was but at least now people are on the phone all the time i see screens all the time lighting up uh, as i'm watching um, as I, i'm you know seeing a movie in the movie theater uh people talking i've 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 witnessed the entire conversations on the phone while the movie's going on so that type of stuff that you know might not be annoying tickets are some overpriced people. yeah i mean theaters are not right the, not what i would call spotlessly clean but again this is that again, as people pointed out on Twitter, as they always do, uh, it varies <laughs> from 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 region to re to to region. I mean, I know that in LA, somebody was saying that in LA the movie theaters are much better than the ones. But this here. is a, my point: is that there are pockets where uh, right. of the country where um, it's they have good theaters. New York City has well, they're losing their theaters, uh, and people brought up Alamo Drafthouse, but these are limited you know what i mean the actual model Mm -hmm. of movie distribution in theaters in this country the general across the board uh consumer experience 
is problematic. If you ask people, it, it's always problematic. There, there's phones, or the Cokes cost $10, or the tickets are wildly overpriced, or there's projection issues, or there's sound issues, or there's restroom issues. There's a lot about how movies are managed, movie theaters are managed in this country uh, that I feel is up for question at a time when they're under a lot of, uh, when they're practically under attack. Um, I don't want, I'm not trying to kick the the industry while it's down, but I, I do think this might be a good time for the industry to look at what it is delivering to its customer base and what it's asking the customer base to accept. Right. There is a reason why people want to sit on their couch and watch on their big screen TVs. And I get that that is a, priv- a position of privilege. Not everybody has, like I have, we have, a huge TV and a sound bar, and we can program all the lights in our living room to dim at, at, at command. You know, we have that, but not everybody can. I will say that we are quickly reaching a point of saturation where um, flat screen TVs are the norm in even middle class and working class homes. Um, but that doesn't mean everyone's getting a full theatrical experience. Uh, however, people like the value that they get from things like Netflix and Prime Video and that's and right, right. HBO and Disney HBO Max and Disney Plus um so we can all scream and yell about this experience that's dying but part part of the reason it's dying is because the consumer base has moved has moved away from it they are not getting the value that they want now don't get me wrong that I mean I pretty sure in 2019 the the numbers i'm sure pretty sure the movie industry did blockbuster numbers it's not like it's dying dying but it was always moving in it was always in a more and more precarious position as more and more people demanded their uh entertainment to be at their fingertips and what's happening this year with covid it's sort of pushing it over the the precipice right again i don't think it's over and most industry insiders who have talked about the Warner Brothers deal have said this is less about them ending um, distribution to theaters and more about them taking the opportunity to uh, beef up HBO Max to Netflix numbers. Apparently, HBO Max did not get the subscription numbers it wanted. Right. Uh, and Disney Plus launched last year and it has done insane numbers to the extent that Disney is now developing, is now focusing more and more on developing for their streaming than they are for theaters. So I think Warner's is trying to move in that same direction and they're taking the opportunity. They're like, well, we we kind of have all of these big movies just sitting here waiting. So we, why don't we just dump them on HBO Max and up our, 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 our subscriptions? We'll see how this works. And see and, what happens. I mean, yeah, I mean, there I mean, is no guarantee, guarantee that, that any of this will work. Right, or that it will last more than a year. We'll see. We'll see. Um, but... Um, I don't know. I I I don't want to sound flippant about it, but I don't think this is the end of the world um, for movie distribution. And I do think this could be a really good time because uh, there's a lot of talk about. There was a big uh, Paramount antitrust. I can't even get into the legality of it. That that the Supreme that the courts broke this year, and it's going to change distribution. I believe it's going to allow studios to own their own theaters again which was something that was broken up in the 1930s um and there's an argument to be made that if disney owns its own theaters don't Mm -hmm. you think they would work really hard to deliver the ultimate disney experience don't you think those theaters would be right i don't i'm not saying disneyfying something is a good thing 
And I certainly am not someone who's like, oh, capitalism is good. Let the market decide. But um, it might actually be good if the studios have a hand in how their films are shown. Because they, as it is now, they get put out into a distribution system over which they only have limited control. And, you know, chains like AMC and all that, they don't always deliver the highest quality experience to the customer. Am I wrong? No, you're right. And I think you just, you know, the bottom line is, you know, you just have to adapt to the, you know, to whatever is new out there. I mean, I mean, we have, like, think about DVDs. I mean, we have drawers and drawers full of DVDs that we never watch anymore. Right. Uh, the, I did pull out our Lord of the Rings Blu-rays yeah. this week, but that's our tradition. And we I'm watching every them. year. Every year we watch Lord of the Rings. Uh, Actually, this is the first year in like seven or eight years. Time, For so about a decade, yeah. every Christmas we watched Everyone. it. But my point is that we have drawers and drawers of DVDs that I don't even touch anymore. Uh, the experience changes, and uh, you know, you might want something old and or traditional, and I guess you should have the option, <laughs> but at some point you have you you have to let it go and and go you know, go with whatever, whatever's new, whatever's out there. Um, the the experience even changes. I mean, our, our conversations now about movies and TV shows change. Um, like now we talk to someone and like, oh, have you watched? No, I'm I, I haven't started yet. Well, I I've, I'm I'm like right. you know I'm in episode whatever. There is no monoculture. Right. There's a you know you you watch however you want whenever you can. So the conversation is completely different now, and you kind of adapt. I even notice on Twitter on social media. Last death threat about uh, spoilers. <laughs> they used to be really, really bad, and they they're kind of like it, it toned down a little bit. I'm not saying it's right. not there, right? But I've noticed that people don't kill you anymore if you, as as they used to, <laughs> threaten to kill you if you, um, you know, spoil them with with anything. So you just kind of adapt and you go. You learn, I guess, the tools, and 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 you learn to adapt. That I think. Right. So, um, I don't know. We just wanted to weigh in on that. It's um, Ultimately, I don't think it's great news for the movie industry, for the theatrical industry. Um, but I don't know. I honestly don't know. Everyone's waiting to see how whether or not this is going to work and whether or not it's, it's going to affect change. Personally, it seems like they're writing a lot of these movies off. Like, there's just no way Dune is going to make the same amount of money off for, for Warners through HBO Max. I don't know. I'm not um, an industry professional, and I don't know the ins and outs of the business on it. But it all seems very shaky and dicey. But I do not necessarily feel it's a harbinger of what's to come. Um, I think it's a weird blip in what's currently going on, um, you know, in reaction to what's currently going on. And I... It could be a game changer, or it just could be this weird blip. We'll see. All I know is one of the um, the the movie theater that we go to here in Philadelphia, the one that, the the one where you go see all the major releases. It closed down because of COVID, and honestly, we don't have much in the way of options. We right have no now. for for blockbusters. We don't. No, not not uh, in Philadelphia. No. And I mean, we're the fourth largest city in America. I know other cities have better. Uh, cinematic experiences, but if Philadelphia is having this kind of problem, imagine what, you know, places that are only barely served by theaters. Right. What happens if they're, you know, if it's the only theater for 50 miles, what happens when those theaters close? Um, anyway, those are our rambling thoughts on a bunch of things this week, and I, uh, that's pretty much all I have to say yeah. about anything. So, Kitten, thank you once again. Enjoy and thank weekend. you for waiting since we didn't give you any podcasts for a couple of weeks. 
Uh, thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week with whatever crosses our eyes or crosses our desks. Until then, love you, mean it. Bye-bye. Bye.